Hi everyone, welcome back to the Millennium Grinders. So today I'm talking to Laura Burden. She's a social media manager who's been in business since 2013. She started social media management as a side hobby and grew it into a business with employees. She shared tips for solo entrepreneurs and social media tips. So I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Grind Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Peter content marketing specialist, journalist, and founder of The Grind. So The Grind is a platform dedicated to millennial creatives and coaches. If you want to understand how to build a successful business, make sure you subscribe. Every week, I will interview millennial creatives and coaches, and I will give you marketing tips. So welcome to the family. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the Million Grinders. Thank you for being here. Hi, Erica. It's so great to be here today. And thank you so much for having me. Of course. Listen, I'm over the moon to finally talk to you. You know, I've been waiting for this day. I mean, we have amazing things to talk about and I'm super excited. So first... I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Amazing. Thank you so much. So hi, my name is Laura Burden. I'm the founder of Burden Brand Management, and uh, we are a social media marketing firm based in Vancouver, Canada. Amazing. So for the audience listening to us, it's it's really funny the way, you know, like we connect on Instagram. And yeah. with Laura, it was, I mean, it was Funny is not the word because what happened is that she received some pretty angry comments after she mm. shared a post about shadow ban. And okay. personally, I hate, hate, hate bullies. So, mm. yeah. So I told myself <laughs> I really needed to uh, to talk to you. You know. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that there is a positive from the negatives at least. <laughs> exactly. Um, first of all, I wanted to know. How did you become, you know, like the bus lady that you are? Like, so what did you study in school? Yeah, so I did a bachelor's of business administration and my major or my focus was international business. Um, so I finished that in 2013 and, oh no, it was 2014, sorry. And um, after that, I did a year of law school thinking that I was going to be a lawyer and then that was not a good fit. Um, and then I did a semester of my accounting prep to be an accountant and didn't love that either. So I had a long journey um, to get here and a couple pit stops along the way. But yeah, I never oh, had wow. planned to do this. Yeah, it was never, I never thought it was a real job or never thought it was even an option. Like I didn't, didn't know it existed basically. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. You know, when you think about social media, you just think think about it like a fun place, you know? Totally. You don't necessarily believe, you know, that you can do something with it. No, totally yeah. not. Yeah. So um, did you always want to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, 100%. From like when I was really, really young, I knew I wanted to work for myself. Um, both my parents were self-employed and I knew that you know, the traditional nine to five didn't suit me. I just knew it wouldn't be a good fit for me. Um, but I didn't I didn't know how it was going to happen. I just like knew that I wanted to do it. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, but I didn't have like a clear pathway at the time. So growing up with parents who are entrepreneurs, what were the things that you learned early on? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely things that I think maybe people who have parents who have regular jobs don't have to deal with. Like I would always know how much money was coming in. Like if they lost a client, I would hear about that. So it made me hyper vigilant of maybe the idea of unexpected, you know, you have to plan for everything when you're an entrepreneur, you can't mm -hmm. expect a paycheck every month. So 
I mean, I was definitely aware of that and aware of the different financial situations that entrepreneurs uniquely face. Um, so things like that, for sure. Um, you know, the power of networking. My parents were always networking. Um, I think those are things that I learned that maybe people, like I said, with parents who have nine to five, really stable, regular jobs, they don't have to think about it. They don't have to notice. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe those are a couple of the things. Okay, so you knew all that. But mm-hmm. what made you want still, you know, to have this type <laughs> of life? <laughs> I mean, I did like besides the negatives, I definitely saw the positives. So like the freedom, like my parents were always home. Um, you know, my parents always picked us up from school. We were never home alone. Um, you know, family vacations, we could kind of go whenever as long as my parents could line it up with their work schedules. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of benefits that I saw and that I noticed that my friends didn't have. So that was another that was one of the biggest things that for me that seemed really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the idea of like, you know, endless possibilities. I mean, my dad had a nine to five job for a bit. And I kind of saw how that I don't want to say it killed his soul. But like, I could see that that wasn't a good fit for him. And I think it was because you know, no matter how hard you work, no matter what you put in, you're kind of stuck at the end of the day. Yep. Um, so I really like the idea of like being rewarded for hard work and for being tenacious. And you know, for putting yourself out there, I really liked that idea as well. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, tell me something on your website. It's written that everything started mm-hmm. for you, you know, as a fun side hobby in 2013. Yeah. So tell me about that side hobby. Yeah. So I had just um, finished, I was near the last semester of my schooling and I wasn't sure what I was going to do next, but I had a friend who was starting an online boutique and she kind of said to me, like, can you help me with blogging and some social? So I was helping her out with that. And again, never thought that that would ever become a career. And then um, a nonprofit approached me and I was working with them for a bit. Same thing, like doing their social media, helping with their blogging, again, not thinking that it would ever lead to anything more than that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I started working for a restaurant after I left law school in 2015. And same thing, I started doing their social media because they had no presence at all. And at the time I was only thinking like, oh, I'm going to do social media so I can get more people in the restaurant. Not thinking like social media in itself was, important, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of how that started. And then from there, we would get customers in the restaurant all the time saying like, Oh, who's doing your social media? Like we need someone. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, so it was kind of random, because I, I never ever thought that would happen. So, you know, the first few, you know, people that asked me, Oh, would you consider doing our business as social? I said, No, because I didn't, like, I wasn't planning on doing that. So I turned down um, quite a few people in the beginning. And then eventually, I was like, oh, like maybe I should, you know, maybe I should actually try this. So, yeah. So it kind of happened quickly, um, but also slowly at the same time. Like it was a long time coming. And, you know, looking back, it's so obvious to me. But at the time, it didn't make sense at all. And I was like, what? Like people will pay me to do this. So, yeah, it was kind of random. Yeah, it was a weird start. Okay, so you learn everything by doing it? Absolutely. Does it mean that at some point you took some classes to understand better, you know, social media? Yeah, exactly. So I spend a lot of money on like ongoing education. Um, I've bought courses from like almost everyone. Uh, ebooks. There's like always ongoing learning, especially with social media, because there's so many changes constantly. So mm-hmm. yeah, initially it was just like I did it myself and I just experimented kind of saw what worked what didn't work and then along the way of course investing in um, like ongoing education was super important for me what was the turning point that made you really realize you know okay I can do it full-time for sure yeah so when I first started I again I took a couple clients not thinking it was ever going to be anything Um, but then my sister passed away in 2018 at the beginning of the year 
yeah. So I, um, I was going through mental health struggles, obviously, after that, mm-hmm. I like couldn't be in public, I couldn't go to work, I would have panic attacks if I left the house. Um, so it kind of happened out of necessity, to be honest, I wasn't like, I didn't think, oh, I'm gonna do this full time. It was more like, I can't leave the house, I need to figure out a way to make money without leaving the house. So that was, you know, the kick in the butt that I really needed to um, pursue it full time and kind of have that as the turning point. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and you know, it really resonates with me because, mm-hmm. um, I feel like people want to start their entrepreneur journey. Like most of the time they're trying mm-hmm. to find this big idea. Totally. And, and I feel like most of the time it comes from those scary times, you know, totally. Um, yeah. you know, like for me, it's scary to just go back and work for people who yell all the time mm-hmm. and things like that. Totally. For you, it was at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Those are the things we don't talk enough about, you totally. know, like it's always this magical story, you Glamorous. know, like, oh, I started, yeah. <laughs> all right. And usually it's not really that way. <laughs> no, not at all. I know even for my mother, like she got, she started her self-employed entrepreneurial journey after she had a horse riding accident and she was in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and, you know, that's how she started working for herself because she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't get around as much, couldn't get out to see clients. So, you know, same thing. She was like, I have to figure out how to make this work. And it wasn't this like glamorous beginning that's like this magical journey like it it started because you know life's hard and you kind of have to figure out a way to work around it I guess you know exactly and and speaking about it you know the challenges that that we're facing every day in our lives uh, that makes us take these type of decisions Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to know what were the mistakes you've made early on you know in your business venture that you'd like to share you know so that people don't don't make the same ones oh my goodness there's so many um (laughs) so in the beginning I struggled with boundaries if a client texted me at like 10 p.m on a Friday night needed something I would right yeah I would be like yep absolutely no problem like stop everything I was doing and go do it um, so wanting to please everyone in the beginning, that was something I really struggled with. Um, not having contracts, and that kind of ties into the first one. I didn't want to seem, you know, maybe abrasive or rude by making them sign a contract. So all of my clients in the beginning were just kind of like verbal agreements, um, oh, which, God. you know, no. I know, I know, right? So I was just <laughs> so green. I was, <laughs> I was like, it'll be fine. No, it was not fine. Um, what else? I also didn't have like a very clear client avatar. Like I basically was like, yep, I'll work for anyone. Like I had some really strange, not strange clients, but just strange for me clients in the beginning because I didn't know how to Mm -hmm. say no. And I didn't want to say no. I was like, it's money. Like I'm going to say yes to it. So, um, you know, not being clear on who you want to work with. um, That was another mistake because I didn't feel passionate about what I was doing when I was working with those clients. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think those are a couple of the big mistakes I made in the beginning. So who do you work with now? Yeah, so now I'm still kind of in the transition phase um, of trying to really, really niche down. So mm-hmm. officially, we are doing um, social media marketing for health and wellness businesses. Mm-hmm. And then um, something I'm trying to niche down towards for my coaching and consulting is to work with professionals. Okay. So going back to the mistakes about not having any contracts. Mm, I know. Um, <laughs> this one is a big one. And I did a year of law school. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so what was the moment where you were like, okay, I need a contract. Did anything happen? Um. There was a couple like little things that happened along the way. There was one client um, without giving away too much, something kind of went wrong and it was a technological glitch. And I was like, oh my goodness, she's going to sue me. And I had a friend who was a lawyer and I like called him and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is happening. 
what do I do? And he's like, oh, well, what does your contract say? And I was like, oh, about that. Yeah, <laughs> there is no contract. <laughs> so I mean, everything was fine in the end. Um, but in that moment, I was like, I'm going to get sued. Like, this is going to be bad. Um, and even though, you know, it wasn't technically my fault, it was um, the software I was using. It still wasn't good. And I still took full accountability for it and apologized. But yeah, it was bad. <laughs> oh, wow. In some way, you got lucky. It could have get totally. worse. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was like the sign from the universe to stop playing around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and going back to the one about setting your limits, mm -hmm. what was the turning point? Yeah, so I was at the point where my clients were texting me and I kind of, I was like, oh, I'll just get a second phone so I can separate my personal life and my business life, thinking that was the solution. Um, but really the solution was to just not, you know, have that as an option for my clients. Like no one should be able to text me. Like it doesn't make sense for my life. And it just, I don't know, I found that it really harmed the relationships. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there wasn't, again, anything specific there. It was just more of a slow realization where I was feeling like burnt out and constantly like needed. Um, I would mm -hmm. have like dozens of unread texts on my phone and I hate seeing that notification. So I think it was just like a slow realization that it was not sustainable and that if I was hoping to keep scaling and adding clients and growing my business, there was no way I could keep up with constantly texting my clients. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you write about those two points because... Obviously, there is the mental health issue, but mm -hmm. there is also the money issue yeah. because when you're working all the time for one person, you're actually not making any money. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's worse than uh, working in an agency, you know, mm -hmm. because at the very least you have an amount of money set. Exactly. You know what I mean? I I'm glad we're talking about it mm -hmm. because I feel like, you know, when people are starting out, it's in some way it's human. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just glad that someone wants to work with you so totally. you would do anything for that Absolutely. client you'd move mountains uh, yeah right totally yeah and it's costing you money at the end of the day because you're not helping another client or you're not building your business or you're not doing you know the other tasks that are actually the money making tasks you're spending this time back and forth texting so yeah that's something i had to you know put a boundary around very quickly um speaking about uh, making money when were you profitable enough to start recruiting i think that you have Two employees, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, yeah, I have three now. Three, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even <yeah>. better. <laughs> it wasn't really a matter of being profitable enough. I think it was more a matter of I couldn't sustain what I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, in the beginning, if I'd wanted to hire someone, I probably could have. But it just it didn't make sense for me. Um, so I would say it was, I think it was November or December 2019 um, where I did my first hire. And that was really because I was struggling so thin so it was a year after starting full-time nice yeah. so almost a year ago yeah a year ago times flies I know <laughs> it really does it's crazy so was it hard finding the right team because I feel like anyone can say I'm a social media expert totally yeah it's even now like hiring is on an ongoing struggle I have to be very careful with who we hire um I was really fortunate with my first hire I ended up just doing a post like on my own social media account because I didn't feel like going through Indeed or LinkedIn or, you know, those seemed very intense. So I just did a post on my social media and I got, I think I got about 15 applications. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time I was like blown away. I was like, I can't believe 15 people want to work with me, um, which was obviously amazing. But I was really fortunate. Um, the girl I ended up hiring, she is friends with, no, sorry, she's cousins with a guy that I went to school with. Mm -hmm. and I knew her other cousin quite well. So 
yeah, it was kind of crazy that we had this connection between us. So, I mean, based on her relatives, I was like, I know she'll be great, which I mean, I got lucky. You don't always know that with people. But yeah, so I kind of hired her based on that. I knew who she I knew who she was. Um, I saw that she had the right qualifications. And yeah, I mean, she's been awesome. I kind of figured to me, it wasn't super important that the skill was there. It was more like, is this person trainable? Are they willing to learn? Are they receptive to feedback? Mm-hmm. Um, because I know when I first started out, I didn't really have any experience either. So I wanted mm-hmm. to have an open mind when I came to hiring. Oh, that's a great, great way to go about it. And actually, would you mind, you know, like sharing tips on how to recruit a social media expert? Because you mentioned, you know, like you want someone who can learn, but how, how do you define that? Yeah. I mean, so for the girl, my first lady, girl lady that I hired, she's younger than me. So I want to call her a girl. (laughs) Um, So with her, I mean, for her, I looked at her portfolio. She had a little bit of a portfolio and, you know, I could kind of see a progression. Um, She'd also had a bit of agency experience with another social media marketing agency. So to me, I was like, Oh, that's, that's a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, so that really helped. Um, but yeah, I think I know this isn't going to be super helpful, but I like to go with my gut. Like I had a good feeling about her and that was kind of enough for me. I mean, now I am a little more careful with hiring because I have had a couple of bad experiences, um, but I got really lucky with her and she's amazing. So go with your gut. Um, you know, if there's references to call the references, check the references. Um, but yeah, just, you know, I think the interviewing process is also really important because it gives you a good idea of who they are as a person. I think resumes can be, they can kind of sell someone short. So yeah, interviewing is also really important. You know, you talk about references and I think it's very important that people realize that they can actually check these references mm-hmm. or just call the company right totally. away, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and I find out uh, recently that people don't do that that often, you know, and then they, they're yeah. surprised, you know? Uh, but it's something easy to do. And I'm pretty sure like people mm-hmm. are happy, you know, to absolutely. share their opinions, you know, <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because even when I was applying for jobs before I started working for myself, I would still like get jobs, but they never called my references. And I was like, I could be like a serial killer. Don't you want to know? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, people don't take advantage of that. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So going back uh, to uh, social media for businesses, mm-hmm. uh, I believe that we can all agree that nowadays, especially right now during the pandemic, social Mm -hmm. media marketing is very important. Yeah. But it's not a one-time service. So there is a big investment. You know what I mean? Totally. It's it's costly. It is. So at which stage in a business does it become mandatory to invest in social media management? Yeah, this is a good question. And there's a couple different pieces. I mean, investing could be you know, your time, your energy, your effort, but of course it can also be, you know, a financial investment to hire someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that a lot of people and small businesses overcomplicate it. I think it's more important to have a presence than to worry about having like the best perfectly branded presence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, I think investing, you know, your time and your energy and your effort in the beginning is super important just so you can be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people wait until everything's perfect before they start social media and that's a mistake. So I think, you know, in terms of when it becomes absolutely mandatory to 
hire someone else. I would say when, you know, your business model is set up in a way that social media will help you that each new lead is, you know, money in the bank Mm -hmm. or close to it. Um, And that when the benefits outweigh the costs, I think that could be something to outsource. And of course, I think it, it really depends. Every business is a little different. If you find that social media is an important lead generator for you, and you aren't able to keep up consistently with posting, I would say at that point, it would be a really good idea to consider um, investing in a social media manager. Okay. So, um, you know, since you're an expert in your field, I thought it was the perfect moment to address different subjects related to social media for creatives and coaches who are listening to us. Um, And like I was saying earlier, first time I DM'd you, it was because of that post you shared about shadow ban and then you got angry comments. (laughs) You know, as I DM'd you, I told you I was surprised, like even surprised that adults Mm -hmm. would bully online. Totally. I thought it was a teen thing. No, I guess they never outgrow it. (laughs) Oh my God. My God. I know. Yeah. I still don't get it. I still cannot work mm-hmm. my mind around it. And then another day you shared a story about the client who was getting angry comments. Yes. I was like, constantly. This is bizarre. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I want people to learn from it, you know? Yeah, of course. And I'd like to know what advice would you give to someone who receives angry comments? Of course, that's a great question. Um, so for my client that gets a lot of angry comments, we use really inclusive language, um, especially gender neutral terms. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, um, we get a lot of angry comments from women saying that you're denying me being a woman. So we get a lot of that. I mean, there was kind of a couple approaches to this. We could either clean up the comments and pretend it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. or we could just respond to those comments. So we've decided, you know, to leave those comments up. Um, unless they're truly, truly hateful, then obviously we'll take them down. If there's, you know, foul language, we take them down. Um, but it's more a matter of, you know, letting them express themselves. Um, and we'll respond and say, you know, we're sorry this offends you. It's important to us that, you know, people feel included. Um, and then we kind of explain our decision. So, you know, acknowledging them, um, apologizing if it hurts their feelings, and then just kind of explaining, you know, why you're using the strategy or how it makes sense for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the comments I get for myself, I mean, I haven't really had any constructive feedback. Um, it's usually just mean. Mm-hmm. So I will just delete those. Um, if I get comments from people who are just angry because they don't agree with what I'm saying and they explain their opinion, like I, I'm totally receptive to that. Of course. I will respond to that. We'll have a really great conversation about it. Um, but the second someone leads with an insult or name calling or swearing, then I will just delete it. And I'll usually just block them because they obviously don't have anything you know, worthwhile to add to the conversation. What did you wish this type of people, the people who bully online, thought about before even leaving an angry comment? Totally. Yeah. So the first thing I noticed was that a lot of the angry comments I get, I would say 99% are from other women. Um, which is kind of surprising um, and really disappointing. But, you know, I think I wish that they thought about what they were saying and what they were posting before they hit send. Um, it's so easy, you know, to sit behind your phone and criticize someone and tell them they're not doing their job right. Um, I don't think that's something anyone would ever say to my face, though. So, you know, thinking to yourself, is this something I would say to their face? And, you know, would I want to hear this about myself? Uh, There was one lady who commented on my account and said that I was a total hack and didn't know what I was doing. And I clicked through to her profile and she was a mommy blogger. So that was like kind of disappointing because obviously if anyone ever commented on her 
posts or said something like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to be a parent. She'd be devastated. Yeah, I mean, especially for a mommy blogger, like, first of all, she's not an expert. There is a difference between you and, you know, a blogger. And it's not to diminish what they're doing. It's just that you are handling different accounts, you know, from your clients and you've learned things along the way, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I thought it was super disrespectful. And I was yeah disappointed to see that a lot of the comments are, you know, from the accounts, you kind of expect it from they're private, or they don't have any photos. And they're not like they seem like they've just been created to be trolls. Um, but yeah, sometimes you see one from an account that's like an actual account. And you just kind of wonder, like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> exactly. And actually going back into that post, uh, which was about the shadow ban. You know, it's a trending subject. Everybody is talking about it. Everybody thinks Instagram is against them. And I see flashback, meaning that every year we talk about it. Every year there is some sort of rumors about shadow bans, you know. You say that it wasn't real. So what led you to that conclusion? Yeah, I mean, I think the first and biggest priority is, you know, figuring out what the definition of a shadow ban even is. Um, I did get a bunch of messages from like activist accounts or from people who run activist accounts. And they said, oh, well, our content is being shadow banned. And, you know, to some of them, I said, like, that sounds like censorship to me. I think, you know, call it what it is. We shouldn't say that's a shadow ban. It's a lot more sinister than that. Um, yeah. If, you know, they're actually stifling content from, you know, Black Lives Matters accounts, then that's censorship. That's not a shadow ban. Um, so I think it's really important to, you know, to look at that first. Um, but for me, the, the definition that I'm most familiar with or that I really use for shadow ban is, I mean, you'll always see those accounts that say, if you're seeing this post, like, comment and save um, Instagram's hiding our content from our followers. So to me, and the most common definition that I know for shadow ban is when people say Instagram hides my content from my followers. So that's not true. Instagram does not hide your content from their followers. If you scroll long enough or if your followers scroll long enough, they will see everything. So that's, that's the definition that I'm most comfortable with or most familiar with um, for a shadow ban. And that's definitely not real. But what led you to that conclusion? What made you realize it's not real? Um, it just, it, I, oh, I don't know. That's a really good question. It's just, to me, it's like science. Like Instagram would never hide content from the people you follow. Um, I know that it's an algorithm. It's a relationship-based relationship algorithm. So the more you interact with someone, the stronger the relationship looks between those two accounts and Instagram will show you that content in priority. Um, I mean, besides that, if you look at like Instagram experts, there's your social team. I follow her and I love her content. Um, and she herself has said like, it's not real. Instagram themselves have come out and said like, again, depends how you define what a shadow ban is, um, but we never hide the content you follow from you. So that's, that's kind of where I've based it off of. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And actually, you know, I'm pretty sure there are other social media myths uh, like that, that people keep on saying. Would you mind sharing four of those? Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Okay, so what I'm seeing lately is people saying that if you edit your posts, um, Instagram resets the engagement and it starts from scratch. So that's absolutely not true. It doesn't make sense. Why would Instagram punish you for fixing a typo or for fixing a mistake? And, you know, it's a feature they gave us. Why would they punish you for using the edit feature that they gave you? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one that I'm seeing a lot lately. Um, another really popular one is that emojis don't count as engagement. Again, that's not true. 
Instagram, again, has said that that's not true. Any sort of comment counts as engagement. Um, another myth is that you can't grow on Instagram in 2020. Um, I mean, that happens every year. People say, oh, like you can't grow anymore. It's too hard. It's too competitive. Um, so that's another myth that I see quite a bit. Oh, what else is there? I mean, there's so many. If I only have to pick one more, I would say maybe that you need to have like a really perfect, perfectly branded presence to grow on social media as well. That's not true either. It's funny you mentioning that because we have so many proof of that. There are so many accounts that are not that beautiful, you know, and they still have a lot of followers and so forth it because it's more about what they say than anything else. So you don't necessarily need to have everything figured out from day one. Of course not. Yeah, definitely not. And I think that the longer people wait to get started, the worse it is down the road. At least, you know, when you're posting, even before it's ready or before you feel perfect, you're learning along the way, you're collecting data, you're collecting insights. So that's super important. I agree with you. Before even launching my business, I started to test different things on social media to just figure out, you know, uh, the people I was targeting, what they will answer to, you know, and that when I went full time, it made my job way easier because I already knew what they like. Yeah, no, that's so important. And that's something, I mean, you only learn that with time, right? You only learn that by getting out there and actually doing it. So definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so today you have almost 15,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So how long did it take you actually to get there? Okay, so that's a really funny question. So, I mean, I've been on my account, I think it's two years now. Um, so it's funny because I think this time last month, or maybe let's say this time at the beginning of last September, so a month and a half ago, I had 4,000 followers, maybe 4,500. No. Yeah. So so I blew up very, very quickly. I mean, quickly more recently, I would say, not quickly from the beginning. It was a long, yeah. hard struggle in the beginning, um, but I grew pretty consistently every month. And then in May, I like decided to get serious about it. And I kind of changed my content strategy. Um, I did a little bit more outbound engagement and was just more consistent with posting. And I noticed that that little change bumped up my growth. Like if you look at my growth chart, like you can see where I started to take it seriously in May. Um, and then with reels, it kind of happened overnight, it felt like. So for you, the two keys were consistency yeah. and reels. Yeah, totally. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was an unexpected benefit. When Reels first got announced, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, this is another thing I have to learn. I don't want to do it. And, you know, out of obligation, I was like, oh, I'm a social media manager. I have to at least create one Reel about what Reels are. So my first reel I created, I think I got maybe it was like two or 3000 views. And at the time I only had 4000 followers. So I was like, this is amazing. Like that's like almost everyone on my account seeing it. So I was super excited. Um, and then from there, I decided to, you know, same like my regular content strategy is I batch create my content and I drip it out slowly so that I have time during the week to run my business. And I did that with reels. And I was just shocked because one of them, I think it's at 200 7,000 views now, but it hit 10K maybe three or four days after I posted it. And I was shocked because at the time, like I said, I only had 4,000 followers. So I was just mind blown that I had like doubled my reach basically in a single video. So what made you decide actually to take it more seriously with your own account? Yeah, I mean, my own account was never really a priority for me um, because my clients were my priority. So I think you know, with COVID kind of realizing, like I lost a couple of clients at the beginning, you know, realizing that having multiple streams of income was super important. Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted to segue into, you know, courses and coaching and consulting. 
So I knew that I needed to take my own social media presence more seriously and to be posting more consistently there in order to build that audience and to be able to make those other streams of revenue a reality. And I think that's uh, something that everybody is learning right now. Like you cannot depend on, you know, like one way of making totally. money. Like you really need to develop different stream of revenue. I mean, I'm glad that you learned it sooner rather than later, you know? Thank you. Yeah, it was definitely... A shock with COVID. So, um, you know, I'm sure that throughout the years, has you handle different type of uh, accounts, you know, for your clients, you've seen some recurring mistakes that people do when it comes to Instagram. What are the most common mistakes? Oh, yeah. So the biggest mistakes I see are people buying followers. Oh, yeah. Like I see that all the time. Like clients will come to me and they'll say, oh, like we bought followers, but it was like five years ago. So it should be fine. And it's like, no, your account's not fine. Um, so buying followers is a really big mistake I see. Um, not having a strategy. That's another I mean, that's a bigger one. Like it's a bigger picture one, but it's less harmful, I would say. Doing follow for follow or engagement pods. I see engagement pods a lot. And those are really not a good use of time at all. Um, so there's a few I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so today I actually shared about post about it, about those follow loop. Oh, they're brutal. <laughs> And I was surprised that it still existed because it's one of my friends who told me you should make a post about it. And I was like, but people yeah. know. I know, know, right? You think so. That's funny. One of my friends has said the same thing to me. She's like, you need to make a reel about how engagement pods are the worst thing ever. And I was like, people should know this, but... Yeah, I see them all the time. I still get invited to join them. And I'm like, in what world would I join this? Like, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, we're coming to the end of this mm -hmm. interview. And I wanted you to give an advice for someone who's trying to make a career as a social media manager. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, you're, if you don't have any experience at all, I would suggest starting with like a volunteer role for like a nonprofit, um, just to get your feet wet and get, you know, in the rhythm of things and to figure out what works best for you and like how you can manage it with, you know, if you have a full-time job still. Um, mm -hmm. but beyond that, you know, having a really good support network is really important. Um, I'm a part of a couple different memberships that have social media managers or social media experts. And I find that has been really, really helpful for me. And mm -hmm. then, you know, networking. I've got tons of my clients. Most of my clients come from networking or from referrals. So, um, you know, the people around you are the ones that are going to help you and they're the ones that are, gonna, are going to help build your business. So yeah, paying attention to them and building those relationships is really important. Nice. And, um, and actually, uh, last question, what would be your five most important tips for solo entrepreneurs trying to grow their businesses? Oh, okay. So this kind of ties into my last one, I guess. Um, you know, networking, That's really important, having good referrals or having people to refer to and having people that refer clients to you, being patient, it's not going to happen overnight. And I see too many people, they start and they get, you know, six months into it and they give up. So, you know, not giving up, staying patient, um, consistency is really important, especially in the beginning. Mindset's really important. So, you know, working on your mindset, staying motivated, staying inspired that's really important, you know, staying attached to your why and remembering why you're doing this, why it's important to you, that really helps as well. And one more, don't be afraid or like ashamed to have a full-time job while you're still growing your business. A lot of people, they feel embarrassed that they aren't full-time yet in their solo, solopreneur journey. And that's not something people should be ashamed of or feel bad about. I think it's really important, you know, that you have an income while you're trying to build this business on the side. And it also really helps with your like your persistence and your consistency if you have that other income coming in great thank you so much for those tips and 
Thank you for being here. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much. It was great to be here and so lovely chatting with you. Before I let you go, <laughs> uh, would you mind uh, sharing with people, you know, where they can find you if ever they want to talk to you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's at Burden Brand Management. And yeah, you can DM me or send me a message or whatever and we can chat from there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. You as well. It was so lovely chatting with you. Guys, it's me again. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you rate it and share it with your friends. Talk to you soon.